are uh, going to start a new series this morning that I'm really excited about called Loud and Clear. Where for the next six weeks, we're going to uh, kind of look at the major themes that run through the book of Isaiah, the prophecy of Isaiah. And uh, Isaiah, I would love to just preach it verse by verse, but it's a big book, and it would probably take me like three years to get through it all. Um, and so what I thought I'd just pick out some of the major themes of the book instead and, uh, and look at what it is that Isaiah teaches us in, in that book. Uh, it's an incredible, incredible writing. It's, it's out of the Old Testament. It's probably my favorite Old Testament book. I took a, a, a college course on the book of Isaiah, and, um, and it just happened to be at that point when, when um, or, or shortly after that point, I guess, Jamie was uh, pregnant with our son, Isaiah. And so uh, luckily I did not take a college course on Habakkuk because um, <laughs> that would have been an unfortunate name. <laughs> um, um, but I, you know, I really do enjoy this book. It's, it's such a great book. Um, and so as we dive in, I wanted, before we kind of dive into the meat of what it is Isaiah tries to teach us, um, I wanted to just kind of give you a little bit of an overview of who he is. So Isaiah, put up that next slide. <clears throat> there it is. Um, so he, Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus. Um, and so when you see 700 BC, that's what that, that's what that is about 700 years before Christ. And his name literally means Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh is salvation. And he spends his entire prophecy basically telling the people of Israel that, uh, that their only salvation is in God and that they need to turn back to him. They've wandered away from him. They're following false gods and all kinds of stuff. And he's trying to tell them that their salvation is in him. He prophesied to Judah. Now, in this time when Isaiah was alive, you can see up on the map, there's a purple region, there's a green region. The kingdom of Israel was actually, uh, had kind of a civil war of sorts and was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom being Israel and the southern kingdom being Judah. Jerusalem is that yellow star there, uh, and Jerusalem is in the southern kingdom. And Isaiah prophesied, his prophecy was mostly to the southern kingdom of Judah. That's where he lived. Uh, he's widely considered the greatest of all the Old Testament prophets. Just in terms of, if you look through the, uh, the New Testament, I don't know if you noticed this, but in the New Testament, the New Testament writers quote a lot from the Old Testament. And probably more from, other than maybe the book of Psalms, I would say most of those quotations come from uh, the book of Isaiah. They just quote him, because they like to, the New Testament writers like to, uh, constantly point their readers back to the Old Testament to prove that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of all the prophecies about the Messiah. And so the, uh, the New Testament quotes from him greatly. Uh, Isaiah was a man who was also executed for his faith. This was pretty, actually pretty common of prophets back in his, his day where um, they, if they would speak up and try to point people back to Christ, people, especially kings, who were uh, wicked, who were leading the people away from God, who were using the temple in ways that the temple was never been, had never been meant to use, um, a lot of times they would be executed for their faith. Isaiah, <coughs> tradition has it that Isaiah, the way he was executed, executed was that he was sawn in half. Sawn in half. Uh, and not this way. This way. Um, and so um, just a, a horrible, horrible way, obviously, to die. Uh, but here's a man who stepped up. God called him to speak the truth. He, he said, as we're going to read today, here am I, send me. And he spoke the truth that God wanted him to speak and ended up losing his life for it. Isaiah was a very peculiar uh, prophet in that um, there, for a period of time, uh, God actually called Isaiah because, because God wanted to teach the children of Israel um, or the nation of Israel, I should say, that, um, that they were utterly um, 
nothing without God, that they were utterly destitute without God. Uh, his way of getting that message across was he told Isaiah, I want you to go and preach naked for a long period of time just to show that the people that are listening to you that they are, in a sense, naked, uh, um, bare without me, without me. And so Isaiah, being an obedient prophet, preached naked for a long time. I'm, thank God he just called me to Dixon. That's all I can say. Um, and so... Uh, anyway, so, so yeah, just a very interesting uh, a guy with a very uh, interesting life, very faithful man. And, uh, and so we're going to start off the series uh, this morning by looking at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6, if you want to flip over there, it starts, uh, if you're using one of the Bibles from the back, it starts on page 571. Isaiah chapter 6. <clears throat> All right, so this is the chapter, <coughs> uh, probably... This and chapter 53 would probably be the two most famous chapters in the book of Isaiah. But Isaiah 6 is the calling of Isaiah. And, uh, and so you're going to recognize some phrases in here that you've heard a lot um, before. Uh, the one I just quoted here, my send me, that sort of thing. Uh, and, and some others that you'll see. Maybe even some that we, we sing about from time to time. Maybe even some, some that we've sung about this morning. So let's, let's just dive in. Chapter 6 <clears throat> says this, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above him stood the seraphim. Seraphim were, were a type of angel. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Okay, so we get this image here uh, right off the bat. He, he tries to tell about this vision that he had of God calling him. And he says, he's coming, he, he comes right out of the gate and he gives us the time frame in which it happened. And he says, it was in, this was all happened in the year that King Uzziah died. Okay, now that, that, that's significant for a reason. I'm going to dive into this for just a second. It's significant because... King Uzziah was, was considered to be a pretty great king. He, uh, he started off good, as a lot of these kings of Judah and Israel did. They start, many of them started off good with good intentions, with, with, with uh, pure motives and pure hearts and that sort of thing. And then some, at some point throughout their reign, uh, got off track and maybe allowed the influence of false gods and things like that to come in and just became uh, off track or wicked or whatever else. And that was kind of the case with King Uzziah. He was... Uh, you know, I, if I was to compare him to anybody that we might uh, identify with, he was kind of like the Ronald Reagan of of Judah. In that, he was greatly kind of revered and respected, and kind of largely seen by many, anyway, as a as a good present, not a perfect present, not a not a not a perfect. You know, he definitely made some mistakes and things like that that history could tell you about. Same thing with King Uzziah. He's a, he's a guy that. They put a lot of faith. You remember when Ronald Reagan came in, for those of you that are this old, when Ronald Reagan uh, came into office, and you remember at that point we had, there was an Iranian hostage thing going on, and how uh, under President Carter, good man too, but under President Carter, there was all, you know, they could not get the hostages, and then Ronald Reagan becomes elected president, uh, and I believe, if, if my memory serves correctly, and I may be off on this, uh, but somewhere right around the time of his inauguration, Iran just let the hostages go. They weren't going to mess with Ronald Reagan. 
They just had, I mean, for whatever it was about Reagan, he kind of put the fear of Reagan in them. And, and he was just like, they were like, this guy's not playing around. He's a little bit off his rocker. We, we got to let these guys go. And so, and so it was kind of the same thing with, uh, with King Uzziah. He was viewed as a very strong king, somebody that, that just made the nation feel a little bit more secure. Just having him on the throne just made them feel good. Even though, you know, it started off good, didn't end so good, you know, that sort of thing. He wasn't a great king in the end. There just was, it just gave them this sense of peace that King Uzziah was on the throne, right? And here we have Isaiah. Go back to that last, that next, or that uh, previous uh, slide there. Um, here we have a, a King uh, Isaiah saying that in the year that King Uzziah died, he's, he starts off right with this, and it was, it was the year that King Uzziah died. What did I see? I see the Lord sitting on the throne. I know we've put all of our faith and all of our trust in this this King that we thought was so great, and and now he's gone, and we're we're a little unsure, and who's going to follow him up, him up? I mean, his son's okay, but he's no King Uzziah, that sort of thing, and. And here he said, in in that same year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne. Because ultimately, he is our king. And the thing that he's trying to draw our attention to as he goes throughout this whole passage here, and he says the train of his robe filled the temple, and he sees, and and, and and then the, the angels are crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. He's He's saying that, Despite the, the political climate of wherever you live, despite the circumstances of whatever is going on, don't ever forget that Jesus is your king. Jesus is your king. And he's literally, now you can, you can kind of argue with me about, you know, was he really talking about Jesus? This is Old Testament, 700 years before Jesus, that sort of thing. And uh, yes, he was. He was literally talking about Jesus. In fact, in the book of John, <coughs> John says this, in chapter 12, uh, let me find it. He says this, uh, therefore they could not believe. For again, Isaiah says, and he quotes Isaiah chapter 6 here, uh, that we'll read here in just a second. He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. And then he says this, Isaiah said these things because, because he saw his, talking about Jesus, because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Get that, that when he sees God on the throne, the Lord on the throne, what he's really seeing 700 years before Christ is Jesus, Jesus. And Jesus is our king, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the circumstances are. Okay, go to the next slide. Let's keep reading. (coughs) Okay. Um, Verse, is it six? Yeah, six. Uh, Then one of the seraphim flew to me. No, 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 no. Verse four. And the foundations of of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke. Um, Maybe cigar smoke. I don't know. Um, And I said, (laughs) that was heresy. I'm sorry. And uh, verse five. And I said, get this. this This is so powerful. This is Isaiah speaking. And I said, woe is me for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah has this encounter. We've talked about this before. But a lot of times when we think about, you know, when we get to, when we stand before God or whatever, you know, some of us get a little arrogant, a little flippant, 
about what our attitude is going to be. Well, he's got some questions to answer and some things like that. And, and yet every time any, any uh, uh, biblical writer has an experience where they encounter God, even in something like a vision, there is no flippancy about it. There is no arrogancy uh, uh, about arrogance <laughs> about it. There, it is just simply they are undone. They are absolutely. And so Isaiah is like, he gets this vision of God seated on the throne and the angels crying out, holy, 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 holy. Which by the way, uh, if you don't know this, uh, when the angels said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. The, the fact that they repeat it three times was a way of emphasizing that his holiness is perfect. Absolutely perfect. There, there can be none higher in terms of holiness than the Lord. And they emphasize that strongly. And here, Isaiah is just undone, and he becomes suddenly aware. He says, he's like, woe unto me. I'm, I'm, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live amongst a people of unclean lips. He is just absolutely undone. I had, a, I had an experience similar to this. It, it really pales in comparison to this, but just a kind of similar experience to this. Uh, several years ago, um, when uh, the Passion of the Christ movie first came out, and I remember going to see that movie. You, 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 can, you can argue whether you like that movie or not, I, whatever. Um, but I just, I, I remember this experience of going to see this movie and just being, you know, just the film so in your face with the love of Christ. How much Christ loved us that he would go through all that he went through for us. And, and I can remember uh, just worship broke out in this theater. I mean, I, I remember, uh, I mean, of course, you know, most people that were there were just, crying their eyes out, so overwhelmed by the images that they saw. And I remember there were a few people literally in the aisles of the theater, on their knees, hands in the air, just praising and worshiping and praying. And I had never experienced anything like that, in, especially in, in a uh, kind of secular setting outside of church walls or whatever. You know, I'd never experienced anything so spiritually powerful, as, like at a movie theater of all places. I remember walking out of that theater, and you know when you walk through the lobby of a theater, how it can be very noisy, and, and, uh, and people are, you know, they're yelling at each other, you know, just kind of talking loud to each other, and, and laughing, and, you know, joking around, and kids are like running all over the place, and shoving each other, you know, just the whole movie theater lobby experience, and I can remember that was the verse that came to my mind as I was walking through the theater after this movie, like, like every noise in that lobby just seemed profane to me, it just seemed... Like, I, like in some small Hollywood level, I had experienced a little glimpse of the holiness of God. And, and I just didn't want that noise. Everything seemed meaningless all of a sudden. It just, it really did. And, I'm, and again, I'm sure that's only just a, 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 a kind of just a brief shadow of what, what Isaiah experienced in his vision of seeing God. He's like, I... I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among... So, so get this for just a second. He, he experiences, he sees God in all his glory and all of his holiness. He hears his holiness declared. He sees his power and his majesty and everything else. And he is undone by that. He sees how holy God is, how other God is, and, and, and gets a very clear view of who he is in relation to that. Very clear view. And I want to point out that what he doesn't do is he doesn't st- speak up and say, God, I'm going to clean up my life. 
Oh, you are so holy and I'm so not holy. I'm going to clean up my life. He doesn't even attempt to go to that place of, I got to clean myself up in the presence of this guy. He is just simply undone. he, He has no response to that other than the awareness of his own fragile humanity and sinfulness and everything else. He, it's not a, oh, I got to do better. That's not what it is. It is just, I cannot even be in his presence. I, I am unclean in every possible way. Even my speech is unclean. And, and this is what happens next. Um, verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. So where Isaiah is left not even trying to clean himself up, God steps in and does it for him. God steps in and does it for him. Isaiah, aware of the uncleanness of his speech, God steps in and purifies his lips. Purifies his lips. Because he's got a job for him to do where he's going to be using his lips quite a bit. God steps in where we feel utterly inadequate and and, um, kind of without recourse in our sinfulness. God steps in and does what we can't do for ourselves. And that, even 700 years before Christ, is the gospel. That's the gospel. That God steps out of heaven and does for us what we can't do for ourselves. Powerful. Powerful. I wanted to bring out this, this kind of one point this morning. Go ahead and put that next slide up. And it's this. That when the holy, holy, holy calls the not so holy, heaven and earth must, must move, must change. Heaven and earth. When the holy calls the not so holy, that things got to change. Things got to change on my end. Things got to change on his end. Somebody has to move. Somebody has to move. I've got um, a dog and a cat. Only one cat now, thank God. And, um, and so, so I know for years I've been uh, not a cat person. And I'm still not a cat person. I sort of like my cat. I still hate all of you guys as cats. So <laughs> don't, you know, sign me up for your free friend subscription to Cat Fancy Magazine or anything like that. It'll be wasted on me. Um, so, the, you know, and you guys know if you've got dogs and cats or if you've had dogs and cats, you know, uh, like my dog is just um, dumb, but so affectionate. And so like every time I walk in the door, that dog loses her mind just absolutely loses her mind. She is jumping, she's barking, she's just everything. She is so excited when any of us come home. She is just so affectionate. The cat, on the other hand, uh, it's clear now that we're living in her house and she's annoyed by us. Um, She is not affectionate. She's not mean uh, or anything like that, but she's just not affectionate. You know, she just kind of walks around. She looks at us like, like, I feel like my cat is cussing at me all the time in her mind. Like, that's what it, those are the looks that I feel like I get from my cat. And, uh, but with the dog, here's the thing about the dog. I got this very affectionate dog, and, um, and, we, and our whole family loves this dog. We love the cat, too, but, but uh, we really love this dog because she's so affectionate. And, uh, but when we got that dog, 
Um, like, like if you've ever owned a dog, you, you know this. And it took me a while to learn this because I've had some previous dogs in the past. But um, that when you get a dog, you have to get over the fact that it's a dog. You know what I'm talking about? You have to kind of get over the fact that it's a dog and embrace that dog as if it's another one of your kids. As if it's a, mem- a true member of your human family. You really have to kind of go there in your mind because if you don't, you would kill the dog. You would absolutely kill the dog. Uh, even if you're a kind person, if you don't allow yourself to go there, you'll kill the dog because uh, dogs are dumb and they do dumb things and they chew up things you don't want them to chew up and they, they have no regard for uh, toilet habits. They just pee and poo wherever they feel like it. Uh, and so here's the thing about our dog. As much as we love our dog, uh, she's not, I wouldn't say she's a good dog. She's good in that she's affectionate, but she is not a well-behaved dog at all. Um, and so, I mean, we, we're, we try, but we're, we're horrible at it. And, and so um, she's just not, we haven't done a very, very good job of training her. And so, but when she came to live with us, um, and I had to embrace her as one of the family. And so if you were to, you know, sneak around my house and peek in my living room windows at night, which I wouldn't suggest, because I seriously might shoot you in the face if you did. Um, and, and so, I'm sorry if it bothers you to have a pastor that would shoot you in the face. Um, but that's how I roll. So, um, so anyway, um, you, you might see me laying on the couch, like seriously, hud, huddled, hump, like hugging with my dog, huddled up and everything, and just, oh, she's a good dog. Oh, he's such a good dog. Oh, I love him. He's such a good, such a good puppy. He's a good girl. That's what you might see. I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> Swallow that vomit down real fast. Um, anyway, uh, but that's, that's I, I love that dog. I really do. I really do. But things had to change in our house when we got that dog. And one of the things is that dog had to at least attempt to stop being a dog. That dog is just going to live in our house and sit on our furniture and sleep in our beds. Yes, we're one of those families. Uh, that that if, if she was going to do that, she had to at least act like she was trying not to be a dog. Which for Ellie, since she's so poorly trained, basically what this means is she still does whatever dogs do. But she looks up at us with puppy dog eyes because she knows she's done something wrong, right? She just at least acknowledges that she's done something wrong. And for me, I had to change and forget for a moment that this was a dog and not a, a child. And so I try to clean up those messes uh, without losing my mind. Without losing my mind. Now, that's a, this is a really horrible illustration of, of what I'm going to try to illustrate with what God tries to do for us. <laughs> In that, that for us to experience a relationship with God where he calls us and he uses us and we're part of his family and a part of his kingdom. That, first of all, he had to move. He's got to kind of step outside of his divinity and live a human life for us and die a death, pay a sacrifice for us that we couldn't pay. He had to move. He had to forget. In fact, the New, a New Testament writer basically says this, that he, he poured himself out. Another way of saying that might be, might be to say, and this is kind of crass, but he dumbed himself down for us. He, God on the throne, the Lord seated on high with six-winged angels flying all around him, calling him holy, 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 and they're smoking the temple, and the trade of his robe fills the temple. This is God. This is the Lord. And he 
didn't esteem himself so high that he wouldn't step down out of all that and put on human flesh for us. He had to forget a little bit about who he was and, and do what he knew we needed to do. And, and on the flip side of that, we are called outside of this sinful flesh to live in the Spirit so that we can relate to Him. And it's faulty and it's weird and it's, uh, it doesn't always work because ultimately we're still just dogs. <laughs> ultimately, we're still just sinful people, right? Um, but we try. We try. And that, that's, that's what it looks like when God calls the not so holy. Now, let's get into the, the meat of the call here. I'm going to go through this pretty quickly. <clears throat> Verse uh, 8. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for us? And then I said, Here, here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, this is God telling Isaiah what I want you to say and what's going to happen. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their eyes heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. And then I said, how long, O Lord? And he said, until cities lie waste without inhabitant and houses without people and the land is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. Though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled, and the holy seed is its stump. So what God basically says is he says, Who's gonna go? Who's gonna speak for me? Who's gonna go for me? And Isaiah is like, in the presence of the Almighty, in the presence of the holy, 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 he's like, I'm here, send me. And then God tells him. Uh, this is what I want you to tell people. Basically, you're going to talk to people. You're going to give them the words I, w- I want, th- want them to hear. They're not going to get it. They're not going to get it. They're not going to see. They're not going to understand. They're not going to hear what you're saying. They'll probably ignore you. They will not get it. And Isaiah says, well, how long do I keep talking with them not getting it? And Isaiah, And God's response is, until everything is gone until they've lost everything because they've turned away from me. Um, Anybody here want to sign up for that call? Anybody? Like, no, no. But this is what I love about Isaiah. Isaiah says yes to the call before he knows what the call is. That's powerful. Isaiah says yes, no strings attached. Even when he hears how horrible it's going to be, he doesn't backtrack and say, oh, wait a minute, no way, that, that's too hard. He just simply says, okay, how long? And God lays that out for me. He says yes to God's call before he even knows what the call is. And this is what I... I want to encourage it. Like, I think most of us as Christ followers, we want to feel some sort of call from God on our life. Like we want to, we want to know God's got a plan and a purpose and a design for us. Like he's created us for a reason. He's going to use us in some sort of certain specific way to, 
be a part of his kingdom work, that sort of thing. We want to know that. But a lot of times, most of us, I think, sit back because we want to know the details of the call before we'll say yes. And it just doesn't work that way when you submit to the holy, holy, holy. That when you get a clear view of, and this is critical, this is absolutely critical. When you get a clear view of who God is, or as clear as he'll allow you to have anyway, a clear view of who God is, and in turn, because of that view, then a clear view of who you are in relation to that holiness, your only response can be, I'm in. I'm in. I've encountered you. I've had this... Uh, experience with you, this vision of you, whatever. I felt your Holy Spirit drawing in my life. I know, I believe, and it. And since I believe, I have to be all in. Because here's the thing, you can't just be halfway in, like, eh, maybe I'll serve, maybe I won't, with the God of the universe. You just, it, that doesn't make any sense at all. E- either he is who the Bible declares him to be in all of that majesty, in all of that glory, with all of that love and with all of that justice and with all of that wrath and with all of that everything, the whole ball of who God is, either he is all of that and we respond as only we are able to respond, which is, I am undone in your presence so what, you, you, in all of your power and majesty and glory, you ask something of me? Absolutely. Who am I to say no to that? Who am I to say no to him? When we get that clear view of who we are, then we position ourselves kind of mentally and spiritually to where, this is what I want to challenge you to do this morning. Get your, get your kind of spiritual house in order to where, You're just saying yes to the call before you even know what the call is. And here's what God does is that he, over time, begins to reveal that call to you. But if you have already positioned yourself, you know, I used to say this about when I was doing teen ministry. I would uh, talk about temptation, you know, trying to resist temptation on certain issues. And I would say, your mind has to be made up before the temptation comes. Because if you wait till the moment of the temptation to try to make up your mind, you'll almost never make the right choice. Almost never. Your mind has to be made up before that moment comes. And I'm going to say the same thing is true in our relationship with God and the way that he calls up. Your mind has to be made up about whether or not you're going to serve God before the call comes. Before it comes. Because if you wait for the moment of the big scary call, if that's what God has for you, some sort of weird, you know, speak and nobody's going to listen to you call. Then in that moment, if your mind's not made up, then guess what? You're going to be like, oh, maybe after my kids graduate and I've got more free time, uh, you know, whatever, you know, things are a little tight right now. Maybe, you know, after I got a bonus coming, after that bonus comes in, maybe, you know, you're going to start making all these excuses, that sort of thing. And your mind has to be made up. So let's be a people who kind of, clear all this up right now and say, God, whatever you need from me, whatever you call me to do because of who you are and because of how I see who I am in relation to who you are, what choice do I have but to simply follow you? What choice do I have but to simply say, you are so, so much more holy than I am. You are so much 
other than what I am. You call the shots. You are the Lord. That's what this whole relationship with him as Lord means, that we give over control to him. And when we do that and he calls us, however he calls us, and he calls us in millions of different ways, and maybe your call is not the call to be sawn in half, but maybe your call is just simply to, you know, lead change wherever you can lead change, to lead your family in a way that you know you should be, but you haven't been doing to speak up a little more around your friends and your neighbors and your family, to love somebody in your life that is really hard to love. Really hard to love. What if rather than arguing with everything or making excuses with everything that God tells us or we feel him kind of spiritually nudging us towards, what if our answer was just always yes and when we heard him, we just simply did what he said? And yeah, maybe we ask some questions like, okay, how long? <laughs> what, whatever, but the answer regardless is still yes. This is how the kingdom of God comes into this earth. This is how that happens. When God's people have a relationship with him that is such that we just say yes whenever he asks us to do whatever he needs us to do. Because ultimately that's what he's using us to do is bring about the kingdom. Bring about the kingdom. So let's be those kind of followers, amen? Let's be those kind of followers. That's what I want to be. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm just saying, but here's the thing. Like we look at, like, like you look at a call like Isaiah got where it's like, okay, you know, Isaiah's uh, eager. I mean, he's before almighty God, all powerful, who can do anything. He can change whatever he wants to change. He can, you know, whatever. And God says, who am I going to send? And Isaiah says, here, me, 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 pick me, send me, right? Because uh, I just did, in that Shrek? Pick me, my Lord. Um, anyway, so, um, anyway, <laughs> so he's like, pick me. And then, and then, because this is the thing, when God calls, you have this feeling like, um, like it's got God's in control, so surely it's just going to be awesome, and you know people are going to love everything I say, and everything will be a grand success, and and maybe 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 you'll experience some of that, but maybe God's calling you not to be a success, but just simply to be faithful, be faithful, and, and this is what I want to really, and we'll close with this: faithfulness is so much more important than success. Faithfulness is so much more important than success. Success. Failure, whatever, I'll leave that to God. That's in God's hands. My role is just simply to be faithful in the things that he's called me to do and trust him for whatever outcome will bring him the most glory. But let's be faithful. Let's be faithful. Is it easy leading your kids in such a way that you point them to Christ the entire time that they're living in your house and beyond? No. Are you always successful at it? No, no. Does it feel like a horrible, horrible experience at times? Absolutely. But we're not called to be successes. We're just called to be faithful. And we'll let God sort out the rest. Is it easy to stand for what's right in the place where you work? No. But we're not called to be successes. We're just called to be faithful. So let's do that. Let's just, right now, right now, this one, go ahead and bow your heads. If you're a follower of Christ here this morning, this is what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to be that type of person that you resolve right now. Just tell God right now when you're praying, God, my answer is yes. 
You don't even have to tell me what the plan is, but my answer is yes. Yes. I'll do whatever you need me to do. I'll go wherever you need me to do. I'll say whatever you need me to say. I'll change however you need me to change. The answer is yes. Why? Because you're God and I'm not. Because you're in control and I surrender my control to you. So the answer is yes. And when it's in your timing and in your wisdom to reveal the plans, the details of the plans to me, then that'll be great. But you need to know whatever it is you reveal to me, my answer is yes. Can can I just challenge you? I know it's a scary prayer, but seriously, it's the one you need to pray. Can I challenge you to pray that prayer this morning just right where you sit? Whatever, God, whatever you need me to do, the answer is yes. The answer is yes. Father, Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your servant, Isaiah, who uh, you inspired these words. Um, God, there's a lot of us in the room, myself included, that probably have um, just issues giving up control. We want to know details. We want to know what the plan is. We don't like diverting from the plan. So God, would you just remove all of that, whatever that is, I don't know, pride, um, insecurity, whatever it is in us that causes us to not want to just simply trust you, would you work in us and remove that? Forgive us when our faith is weak. So God, right now, uh, for myself, one more time, I affirm that you are utterly God and I am utterly not. And, uh, and you need to know my, my answer to you is yes. Whatever. Whatever. My answer is yes. And I pray that when the time comes that you reveal whatever future plans, future call you have in my life, God, that that I would just lean into you and trust you for results. And instead in that moment and and whatever fear or feeling of inadequacy or whatever else I might be feeling, God, I would just um, remember who you are. I would just try to be faithful to that. Thank you for calling us the way that you call us. Thank you for involving us in your work. um, We want to serve you well. We want to serve you well. Pray all this in Jesus' name.